Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Today's podcast is all about finding common ground. I am interviewing H. Edward Wynn. He wrote a book um, called We the People. It's all about finding common ground, not you know going to our our happy place of of everyone who agrees with us all the time um, and and finding common solutions, finding common ground, finding things that unite us, not that divide us. I think that's a really important topic, definitely at the moment when we all are are so divided. Um, So that's why I brought him on. I think that he can really speak well to just getting along, understanding each other, understanding each other's perspective. So it is kind of a, a political discussion, but not really, because it's about finding ways to unite and not divide. So without more said, let me pass it just over to my interview with Ed Wynn. Ed, thanks so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm very good. How are you, Jackson? I'm doing very well. So let's just kind of get right into it. Uh, tell us just a little bit about your background. I know uh, you mentioned that you work in, you used to work in, in government. So I guess, uh, what, what aspect in government did you work in exactly? So my experience in government is somewhat unique. I've worked at every level of uh, government, local, state, and federal. And I've also been very fortunate to work in all three branches of government, judicial, legislative, and executive. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, what, what kind of work did you do? Are you, are you, are, you know, the, a numbers guy? Are you a policy guy? Or? Well, I'm a lawyer by trade, and please no one hold that against me, Uh, but I have been in a variety of occupations. So judicial, obviously, I was a law clerk for a federal court judge, so obviously that requires legal skills. Uh, I've also been the chief administrative officer and deputy director of a state agency, and that required a broad range of skills, not just uh, legal and policy, but good executive management. And uh, I've been fortunate to work as a legislative liaison, and that required good negotiation skills and good emotional intelligence. Absolutely. Well, my, my father owns a law firm, so I know there are just a couple good lawyers out there, so I don't hold that against you at all. <laughs> That's great. There are many good lawyers, and unfortunately, <laughs> I think people uh, who may have had a bad experience with the legal system or a lawyer project that on everyone. And obviously, as you know, that's not uh, a correct uh, approach. Absolutely. So what, I guess what started your, your passion into, you know, government affairs? So it's kind of an interesting story, Jackson, and uh, I'm now going to give away my age. So I guess I shouldn't do that, but I'll do that anyway. Uh, I've been really interested in politics since I was eight years old. When I had a book I think it was the Scholastic Book of the Presidents. I still have it, by the way. And I tracked the 1968 presidential election, uh, which I think is probably unusual for an eight-year-old to be interested in that. But for some reason, I was. And at that age, I could, uh, given the number of presidents we had up to that point, uh, recite all of them uh, in order. So that was kind of a weird thing, but it, it does show that I've had an interest in this for a very long time. Yeah, and that that was kind of me too. The odd thing for me is 
I think I was more interested when I was young than now. Not that I'm not now, but I would, I was just gung ho back when I was probably around that same age. So you, uh, you actually stuck with it and stuck with it so much that I guess the, the whole reason that we're, we're talking today is about the book that you wrote. And I want to, I want to say the whole title because um, it, it kind of really encompasses what it's about. So your book's called We the People Restoring Civility, Sanity, and Unifying Solutions to U.S. Politics, which is definitely a, would be a, quite an undertaking. So if you would, just tell us a little bit about uh, that book and what we can learn from reading it. Absolutely. So, uh, Jackson, if I could start with the genesis for the book, because it may explain that, and then I'll cover the three major parts to the book, if that's okay. Absolutely. So I was very fortunate in the last election cycle in 2016, uh, late summer, early fall, to ride with 12 other riders across the U.S. cycling on a bicycle. Uh, And through that experience, which went from Oregon to Maine, we went through many of the battleground states that were battleground states in 2016 and that I suspect will be battleground states uh, in this upcoming election. And one of the things that I noticed is the deep divisions within our country uh, reflected in the signs primarily and flags and other things that were Uh, displayed along our route. And I also noticed that there was a lot of voting against a candidate because the individual or family didn't like that candidate rather than a voting for someone that they really liked. And everything was very divisive. And I think we saw that play out in the election. And, And that really touched me. And it said, what can we do to get out of this? Because this is more intense than we've had perhaps in any other period in recent memory. And we need to figure out a way to find unifying solutions rather than uh, having this divisiveness. So the three parts of the book, one of the, the first part deals with the things that we all should have been taught in civics but weren't. The point of that section is really basic. That in civics, most of us were taught the basic facts and figures, but not why those exist and not how can we have a civil discussion in politics. And I think those are the two things that are needed more than anything. Example of that, electoral college. I think we were some of us were surprised that we could have a situation where the electoral college winner didn't win the popular vote. And we said, oh, that's because there's this waiting with the states and all that. The thing that we didn't, that I don't think most people realize is that yes, that's one factor, but the other factor that's even more important is that in all states but two, it's winner take all. So if a particular candidate gets 50% plus one of the vote in that state, they get awarded all of the electoral votes. And so as I point out in the book, with that system, a candidate can get as little as 23% of the popular vote and still theoretically win the uh, electoral college and therefore be elected president. So that's the first part of the book. The second, I believe I've identified the six causes of lack of civility in our discussions. And then I talk about those. And then I talk about the six things we can do to return to civil discussion. And then the third part of the book is me putting 
my money where my mouth is, so to speak. So I use that paradigm in the discussion that we talked about in the second part of the book to actually address some of the most controversial issues that we face today and use that paradigm to show how we can get to a range of unifying solutions. Yeah, well, that's that seems like something that's definitely needed and, and, and super interesting. I think everyone could, can learn from that because a big thing now is all, we all obviously have our, you know, our, our opinions and people want to retreat to their own corners. But if we can just find that, you know, that spot in the middle where everyone can just kind of get along, why can't we all just get along? I think that uh, that's really going to, to, to help all of us, really. So I know, you know, without, uh, I guess, giving away any of your, your big um, topics in the book, why do you think that we are as divisive as we are? And, and, you know, just briefly, how do you think we can break that cycle? Absolutely. So let me talk first about why I think we're there. The reason why I think we're there is we've become, I truly believe 75% of us want unifying solutions. We really want to find a way, regardless of whether our beliefs are very conservative or very liberal or somewhere in the middle, to find those solutions. Unfortunately, we're dominated by the extremes who is, if we turned on the TV right now, we would see those extremes get most of the bandwidth, most of the attention. And so one of the things we have to do as that kind of silenced majority is to uh, make sure that we ch challenge the extremes when they engage in debate and discussion that is not civil. And then we need to make sure that our voices are heard. So some, there's six, things, and I won't give away all of them, but I will say this, when people come to a discussion without having a common uh, objective with the other side or agreeing on what our objective are, they just start with their positions and they won't budge, you're never going to have a unifying solution. People go to their corners and they stay there. Also, the language has gotten so poor. Uh, we um, characterize anyone who has a divergent view as the enemy and they're to be hated almost to the point of death and sometimes to the point of death, which is outrageous. And then we engage in name calling or other dehumanizing speech that really causes people to stay on the sidelines, but also doesn't solve anything. So those are the things on that side, Jackson, I would say that are key parts of why we're in the mess we are in and how do we get out of it? The first thing that we all need to do is sit back and come to a discussion, not a talking at each other, but have a real discussion in which we seek to understand, not be understood, that we come to that discussion focusing first on what is our common objective. Because I think many times we may all have the same objective, we just have different ways of achieving it. And so then we need to have that discussion. And then we need to make sure that everyone comes forward to that discussion with facts and that we use those facts and our common objective to be able to propose and think creatively about a range of solutions to that problem. Yeah, no, I completely understand. I agree with that. You know, it's kind of strange. I, I agree with what you're saying where some people really, they come into discussions just, I, I think, trying to find a reason to argue, not a reason to understand each other. And the, the crazy thing is, sometimes I've, I've found when I've 
you know, have these discussions because I mean, of course I do have opinions. And when I have had these discussions, there's been times I've had really good, solid conversations with people that I completely disagree with completely uh, on complete opposite sides, but they're willing to listen. That's not always the case, but I've had great conversations. Then there's been people that I've argued with and, you know, fought with, just like you said, almost to the, the point of death. And we've realized I, we almost agree on, on everything we're saying. You're just you're saying it kind of in a different way and you just kind of want to fight about it, which is just crazy to me. So I, 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 I and I've never really kind of seen it to the, the point that it is now. So that's why I thought it was so important to, to talk to you and to hear about your book, because I, I just don't, I guess I don't understand why it is to the level it is now. And you, you mentioned that you, you know, have been in politics and or the government um, for, for a number of years. Do you think that it, it is getting worse or does everyone just kind of living in the now and think, you know, now is always the, the worst time? No, and it's, it's interesting what you said about it, thinking now is the worst time. Uh, the introduction to the book, and I don't want to give that away too, is actually a, starts with a quote from one of my favorite books, uh, Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two City, The Best of Times, Worst of Times. And I think we all tend to think that now is the, either the best or worst, depending on our perspective. Whether it is or not, I think is irrelevant. The goal is whatever state we're in, what can we do to make it better, and pardon my grammar, less worse. And that's really what we need to focus on. Do I think, in my opinion right now, that the level of uh, discourse and the lack of civility and the personal attacks is heightened from where it has, has been uh, earlier in time? Absolutely. And part of that is, the behavior becomes normalized. So once we allow and we don't push back on name calling, on death threats to people that have a different opinion, we just kind of accept that, that that type of behavior becomes normalized. And as it becomes normalized, it intensifies. And there's a new level of that normalization that continues and continues and continues. At some point, there'll be a breaking point. But um, I think, why do we even need to continue on that path? Let's choose a different path. No, that, that makes sense. It doesn't really matter if it was better or worse in the past. We have to deal with what we're, we're in at the moment and then try to, to, to solve it and to try to kind of ease the, the tension. I, I agree with that. That makes sense. Um, so, I mean, I know you also mentioned in, in your, your three points about civics classes and how they're going wrong now. Um, I mean, what, how, how can you speak a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the issues with what, what we're being taught in civics? And some people aren't being taught civics at all anymore. Yeah, I think that's unfortunate. I, I think we all, um, as citizens of the country, as uh, Americans, need, we have certain responsibilities. Yes, we have many rights, but there's there's no right I can think of in the Constitution, actually, to which there's not a corresponding responsibility. And so we need to be taught about those responsibilities, including the responsibility of having civil discourse with our fellow citizens and Americans. And so that is really not taught in most civics classes. By default, we teach the statistics. How many Congress uh, Congressional representatives are there? How many senators are there? Uh, and the facts like that are safe. You can do that without getting criticized for being quote unquote political. 
but you need to really understand more than that. Why are there 100 senators? Why are there 435 congressional representatives? We need to understand how does that work and how does that affect me? Even the Electoral College, I guess that's the best example that so many of us didn't understand that that is the decisional path to the presidency and we were surprised by this. That I think is the biggest indictment of the um, current way civics are taught. And I'll make one other example that I think is compelling about that as well. We continue to see, and in fact, if you looked at any of the news media this week, you saw national polls saying that one of the candidates was leading the other by X percentage point. Every time I see that, it makes me um, curious as to why we still report a national poll, which is really about the popular vote, when we know we don't elect a president that way. We elect them based on electoral votes of individual states. So national polls, while they might make a nice headline and get people to click on it and give revenue to the large media companies, the issue really is how are voters leaning in the states that matter? Not all states matter. 75% of the electoral votes were decided even before the first candidate announced his or her candidacy because those states are overwhelmingly Democratic or Republican. The states that matter are the 10-ish battleground states. And so those are the polls we need to see, not national polls. And that continued focus on those national polls shows that we haven't gotten the point of how we elect a president in the United States. Yeah, yeah. I I always don't really understand national polls either. Just obviously looking at, you know, 2016 and some of the national polls where that really, I mean, they always tighten at the end too. So that's that's the crazy thing about polls where it doesn't, you know, reading a poll now, reading a poll two months ago, none of that matters because basically what always happens right at the end is, everything tightens up and, and it, it becomes a, a, a real race. But yeah, the national poll is, is, is kind of irrelevant. So, you know, when you're, when you're talking about civics um, and, you know, getting involved, do you have any advice for working adults who, who do want to get more involved in, in uh, their government and, and, you know, changing how things are? Yeah, I do. And I do talk about those in the books so at the end of the first section. I have a summary that by um, ordinary people like us, uh, politicians in the media, how we uh, to-do list actually for each of us as to how we do that. I think on the regular citizen side, the number one thing is vote. Uh, the fact that 60% of us approximately vote in a presidential election and 40% roughly uh, do not, uh, that those people that don't vote, they could have determined the outcome. So the first thing I say is vote. And I would say based on data and statistics that I've seen, and I'll even focus it specifically on battleground state polls that came out this week, but it's typical of ones either, you know, from the past as well. The age group that uh, is the 18 to 30-ish, they have strong opinions but when the question is asked of them, what's your likelihood of voting? They're 
the, the number, the percentage of those individuals in that demographic that say that they're certain or likely to vote is so much less than the other age demographics. So I would say vote is number one. The second thing is to get the facts and better facts than we're getting from headlines or tweets. Make sure that the facts that you rely on to make your decisions are real facts and that they're in depth, not just the facts you want to hear because they align with your pre-existing position, but the facts that really are there that are proven with actual data, with citations, with backups, so that you know this is information I can rely on. And I think that's really important as well. And then you can use that information to make better decisions when you do vote and also when you have those discussions uh, among your neighbors and friends and family uh, so that you're not just stating positions and locking in, but you're saying, this is the issue we're trying to solve. Do we agree on that? And then let's put our positions aside for a moment and then let's get the facts and figure that out. But that's the paradigm we should be using and always keep it civil. Uh, focus on the issue and the positions, not on the person. Yeah, yeah, and, and you, you I mean, you talked about, you know, trying to get the facts. I, I think that's kind of the issue now that, you know, it's, it's easy to find your own facts and kind of retreat to your own corner and, and just hear what you want to hear. Um, I mean, what, what advice do you give people to kind of, to, to break through all of the noise and, and actually know that they're getting good, accurate facts? Because there's a lot of times that, you know, opinion and, and political jargon is, is reported as facts. So I just kind of wonder exactly how you can, you can break through that and, and actually make sure that you're getting good, solid information. That's a great question, Jackson. And I do discuss this in the book and I'll give a couple ways that we can do that. And again, uh, for those that are interested, please pick up a copy of the book and, and you can learn more. So uh, the number one way is to make the, sure that the sources that you receive your news from are not biased or less biased. There's a couple very good online tools that rank all the media based in terms of their bias. One that I like is allsides.com and it ranks all of the media by their bias. It's pretty much on target and it allows audiences to comment on that. And it's pretty accurate, I, I think. So that's one side. So figure out the source and make sure you're not just listening to one side source all the time and try to find those that are less biased. And some that I like uh, are ProPublica. That's a recent uh, uh, journalistic outlet, but I think they're very good. They do more in-depth pieces, so you really get facts and, and good unbiased analysis. Uh, NPR is also good, uh, but you know, look at all sides or similar uh, things like that that can help you pick a source of news that is uh, less biased than um, some of the ones we have out there. The second thing is most of us can look at a, a tweet, a social media post, a newspaper article, something on the 24-hour news channels, and right away we can tell that it's not facts, it's opinion. Now, back in the day, because I'm older, we used to separate everything in a newspaper back in the old days 
by the news and then the editorials or the opinions, and they were even put on a separate page. That doesn't happen anymore. But here's how regular people can figure that out. If someone's making an assertion, a fact, and they don't have support for that, they haven't considered and given the other side an opportunity to suggest the other side of the story, it's probably not a fact. And so I think people that assert facts have the obligation to cite the facts and to provide real information and data, not just people say, I've heard, those are not facts, those are opinion. In the legal world, those are called double hearsay, but, and they're not reliable. But that's the other thing that I think people can really do to make sure they've got, and then certainly we can even see in headlines and we could pull up some just right now. And here's a good guide, a really easy guide, is the more adjectives and adverbs in a headline, the less it's based on facts and the more it's based on opinion. The more nouns and verbs, the more that is going to be facts. Uh, we tend to use very strong adverbs and adjectives when we state an opinion, and those really have very little place in the news section or in what purports to be news rather than editorial or opinion. No, that's, that's amazing advice. I've, I've never really kind of heard it put that way before. So I, I thank you for that. So now that, you know, people are confident that they are getting good information, they're getting them from, from factual sources and they're ready to, to kind of start making, um, you know, opinions on, on who they want to vote for, whether it's presidential, whether it's their congressman, whether it's their school board person, um, you know, without getting too political and making recommendations, how do you suggest people analyze candidates and, and make informed decisions? Absolutely. So the one thing that I think is a kind of neat tool, it's one that I've used both in uh, the government service that I've done, but also in, in the other roles I've had, both in academia, as well as in the corporate world, is consider the issue from the other side. So if someone asserts a position, put yourself in their position. Why would they be making that, uh, taking that position? What is their basis? So I think being curious in that discussion, seeking to understand is really very, very important so that you can understand where the other side is. You know where you are. Um, so let's figure out where the other sides are so that you've got a good basis to understand this is the issue we're trying to solve and these are the divergent positions. And then with that, I think you can be a more effective advocate for your position, but also I think most of the time it causes you to rethink your position and come up with something that really could work for everyone or at least facilitate a discussion that makes that happen. And let me tell you why I think that works so well in politics and in business. Um, let me take a business example. I, I've been fortunate to have led many different organizations throughout my career. And what I love is a situation where I might come in with a predetermined solution to an issue that the organization is facing, but rather than just lay that out there and let that be, you need to encourage opinions from all sides and have a discussion about that after you frame the issue you're trying to solve. And I will tell you, I cannot think of an instance, and I've probably made tens of thousands of these decisions over my career, where what I came in with to that discussion was what we came out with. It was something 
that was a merger of all the different viewpoints. And in many cases, it wasn't what anyone in that room came in with. It was what we collectively found through that civil discussion. Yeah, compromise is definitely key. Um, so, I mean, I, I've appreciated you you joining me and, and, and talking about these really, really important things. I don't want you to have to give too much more of your book away. I want people to, to go out and, and, and pick it up and read it. So how can people, um, you know, how can people find this book and how can people connect better with you? Absolutely. So the, the book is available on Amazon as well as other uh, online uh, booksellers. And, and I believe it's in some independent bookstores as well. But the easiest way to find it is on Amazon. It's We the People, uh, Restoring Civility, Sanity, and Unifying Solutions in, to U.S. Politics by me, H. Edward Wynn. And that's uh, really probably the best source to purchase it. It's available both in ebook and in uh, paperback. I did not uh, do a hardcover because I wanted to keep it affordable so that everyone has an opportunity to review it uh, and enhance their knowledge of civics. And then uh, to reach me, I have an author website. That website is simply H. Edward Wynn, and Wynn is spelled W-Y-N-N.com. And you can learn more about me on that website. And also there's an opportunity to connect with me as well. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Edward. Thank you, Jackson. And that was our interview with H. Edward Wynn. I really appreciate him coming on. I hope you learned something. You know, this podcast is not about getting political, you know, getting dug into our ideals and choosing sides. It's about, you know, speaking to people, learning their, their story, learning their passion. And, you know, the reason I brought Mr. Wynn on was because his book really does speak to finding compromise realizing that we all have opinions, but if we just listen to each other just a, a, a little bit more, I think we'll, we'll find that we have a lot more in common um, than what separates us. So I really hope that you enjoyed that. Um, you know, I, I wondered whether I, I should bring any politics into this, but I, I do think that the message of just finding common ground, finding a middle ground is a really important message Definitely with an upcoming election. I'm not sure when you've listened to this, but uh, there is a, a, a big election coming up. And I think if we all just make informed decisions, then uh, it will, uh, we'll be in a better place. So if it's something you're interested in, please do check out his book on Amazon titled We the People Restoring Civility, Sanity, and Unifying Solutions to U.S. Politics. I think it would be a, a great read, and I've, uh, I've ordered it myself. So with that said, let's leave it at that. Hope you subscribe, follow. And listen next time. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.